Welcome to Fandom and Wellness, a podcast about the complex relationship between fandom and mental health. Disclaimer, we are not psychiatrists or psychologists. We are just fangirls with a vested interest in mental health. I'm Danielle, and I'm joined by two amazing guests today, Erin Leffler and Angelique Roche. We're discussing cyberbullying. Hi. Hello. So whenever we have guests on, we like to say our pronouns. I go by she, her, hers. What do you guys go by? She, her, hers. I'm the same. I go by she, her, hers. Can you both let our listeners know a bit about yourselves and your careers? Whoever wants to go first. You want to go first, Angelique? Oh, you're so polite. No, Erin, you go first. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Okay, so I am a character designer, visual developer, and illustrator. I've been working for Lucasfilms for their Star Wars division for the past three years, since right before The Last Jedi. And I just got my first job doing licensed work with Marvel within the past month, which is super duper exciting. And I'm all around just a giant fangirl. I grew up loving all those nerd stuff. So I kind of draw a lot of that on my downtime. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of that in there, which kind of like dictates a lot what goes on in my life. Awesome. I'm just an Aaron fangirl. That's <laughs> my job. That's what I'm here for. That's why God put me here. <laughs> in my off time, I am a professional writer, communications consultant. I have a lot of degree, but I do not practice law. But mostly I do a lot of posting and production. And that's both visual production and audio production. And if anybody knows the word producer, it's a very open and vague word that describes a lot of people. But mostly I love putting together communication strategies, doing show development, and doing long-form interviews because I think people are fascinating. You currently have how many podcasts? Okay, both in production and on pause. Four podcasts currently. Some podcasts that we've done, like mini shows, like the Marvel After Show, a couple of experiments we've done in the past. I actually started, my first podcast I ever did was the Black Girl Nerds podcast back in 2013. I was one of the sporadic hosts I would hop on. And now seven years later, I have a couple of shows that I'm a main host of. It's now being re-released Geeks Playing from Sci-Fi, uh, which was a lot of fun. And then Marvel's Voices, Women of Marvel, Creative Quarantine, and The Radical Geeks. So I lied. Five podcasts. <laughs> so the two of you are very close friends. How did you meet? When was that? Was the first time we met Ace Comic Con? Was that the first time we met? I think. I think that was the first time we met. It had to be something else. We'd met somewhere else. And then I found out that she was going to be on a panel at Ace Comic Con. And I got really excited because she was going to be on the panel. And I cannot remember because we have so many friends in common. I think it was Jordan. Was it Jordan? Yeah. You're right. It was Jordan and it was C2E2. That's what it was. And you were so adorable. But were you dressed as Carol Danvers? Yeah, because I went listen to each of that was I think that was like my last show that I've done as a fan. I feel like Jordan is starting to become the like Kevin Bacon of nerd culture. Like how many degrees of separation are you from Jordan? <laughs> I love Jordan. Jordan is the reason why I have a personal trainer. Jordan is the reason I have been wearing my Ann Peggy sweatshirt almost every freaking day because I am a baby child and I should have worn it today. For my interview with James and Roll Igohart from Hamilton, and I forgot. But it was funny because I had told Jordan I was going because I didn't know any, I had never been to C2E2 before. And she's like, oh yeah, just come over here. And when I came over, she's like, have you met Angelique? And I'm like, 
I've watched her on sci-fi and on Marvel, but I have never met her. And then you gave me my Stan Lee pin. And then she saw me when I was walking through. I don't know how she spotted me and nearly tackled me into a hug. And that means like the world to me. And I just have not stopped bothering her since. It is mutual. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Okay, so before we get into like cyberbullying and all that, we're just going to chat a little bit. Angelique, you host a lot of podcasts, as I said, and you interview some major celebrities and creatives like on Creative Quarantine. You just had Anthony Rapp on and you have a million jobs, as you've described. Do you find it difficult to do so many things? Do you find it thrilling? Is organizing so much content like just totally overwhelming? It depends on the day. And I think I've kind of embraced it. I used to work in political campaigns and and I used to work on Capitol Hill, which I think prepared me a lot for like stuff being just kind of thrown at you and like these impossible tasks that keep getting like put to you every single day. And, And for good or for bad, that makes you make very quick decisions. Like creative quarantine, the idea started literally a week and two days before it launched. That's how everything is now. (laughs) It literally was like, I woke up and I was like, I'm anxious. I'm tired. I have to do something. I want to give back. How do I do a thing? And then I threw my energy into it. There are some days like today, before this call, like, and this call is so therapeutic for me. I was immediately like burnt because I did a lecture for a class at UNLV and, you know, I worked on one of my main contracts because as we all know, artists have to have a main job. And so they get so lucky to have, you know, this ability to get everything they need from one place, but also to like reinvest in projects, right? It takes a lot of investment. You know, you have to buy platforms and editing and teasers and trailers, and you want to pay people what they're worth. And that requires dollars. But I think at the end of the day, I had a really good conversation with a friend right before I dropped out of my last nine to five. And I was like, I am a creative. I am a creative that also has a strategic mind that loves doing puzzles and analytics, but I love doing it in a way where I'm manipulating in a good way. Cause I think manipulation gets a bad rap because of how it's used now, but like manipulating a conversation to give someone a good story or just showing someone that their story is so important and so interesting And it can be in a way that it could touch someone else in that moment. It's worth it, right? It's worth doing your own graphics or starting your own social digital channels or like recording an intro at 10 o'clock at night when you really just don't want to. It's really worth it and really great. But yes, it can be slightly overwhelming sometimes. I won't lie. (laughs) Aaron, so your artwork has had like, I feel like a lot of people have a very emotional reaction to a lot of it. Like I've seen a lot of people share it, especially like you just did a series of like fathers and kids and then like mothers and kids in the Star Wars universe. What has that been like for you to see people have such a reaction? Honestly, I wasn't expecting it because that's something I've always strived for in my work. The one thing I love doing is being able to share that emotion and that feeling and be able to translate that into something that you can physically see. And so when I would start posting it, it was just kind of like, oh, this is just for me because this is what I was feeling at the time, or this is what I liked at the time. And this is what I felt when I saw it. So when other people are starting to have similar reactions or they're reacting even stronger than when I'm making it, I was just kind of like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm not sure what's happening. 
it's a mixture of shock and excitement because the reactions to my work is part of what makes it so much fun for me is getting to connect with people on such an emotional level because I am a giant extrovert. I love people. I love getting to connect with people. So having that emotional connection with them through something I do just like means the absolute world to me. Is there any favorite interactions that you've had with anyone who that you can remember? It could be a celebrity or it can be a fan of you. <laughs> I'm going to say this one because I know it's going to make Angelique freak out. I went and I actually ended up having the chance to meet John Boyega right after I started working for Lucasfilms. And I brought my phone because I had the picture of him standing in front of my artwork at the red carpet premiere. And I was like, I'm going to get up the nerve. I'm going to show it to him because maybe he'll remember it. And just the moment he looked down at the phone, looked back up at me and went, I remember that. Oh my goodness. I remember standing in front of that. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Like that was me. Thank you. I love that you, when you meet a celebrity, you always give them a drawing of themselves that you've done, which is so lovely. I feel like these are the people that kind of like inspire my work. It's just kind of like my small way of like thanking them for that, because without that, I wouldn't have these really awesome ideas without these characters and without their portrayals of them. So I just kind of feel like it's a way that I can say, you know, thank you for being a part of my world in some way. I love you, Erin. Yeah. So Angelique, do you have any favorite people that you've interviewed or any favorite interactions with any of them? It's so hard. I have some people that I've always considered to be what I quote unquote say my great white whales. The folks that I was fans of is like either like you know, elementary school or high school or college that I looked up to because I either identified with them as people or they personified what my identity was on screen or in or on writing or as lyricist, because I was a performance poet through high school, college, and law school. And, you know, like Method Man was a dope interview and Chris Claremont was a dope interview. And, oh, yeah. You know, I had this incredible interview with Jeremy Harris, who is plays Potonomy on uh, Legion. But honestly, you know, Tessa Thompson was an incredible interview. And I remember, so here's the funny thing. It wasn't the interview. It was... I met Tessa Thompson at the premiere of a movie that I won't name. And she's such a badass that she walks the carpet in one outfit. And then she shows up in a completely different outfit after the movie is over. And I, after getting my courage, walk up to her and say, you know what? I just want to let you know, thank you for all of the queer representation and all of the women of color, natural hair, like just across the board, thank you for what you do on screen. Not knowing I was going to interview her the next year. And by the next year, I mean, literally six months later. And it was one of those moments where you get into these spaces and you understand that they are human, right? And so Matt Smith, Jody Whitaker, like there's people who are on this list of folks that I don't just love them because they portray characters. I really, truly love them because their stories are so relatable. They love the fans so much and they really just truly enjoy performing and being storytellers. And those are the interviews that I love having. Like, Talking to Chris Claremont about how he studied political science during the 70s and, yo, I'm not even going to talk about what his thesis was and how he thought Vietnam was going to end up different if JFK had never gotten shot. It was just a lot. But, you know, those conversations, they're the best part of it, right? Because you're talking to living 
history. And what do you think makes a good host? Because you are obviously an especially good host. Oh my gosh, thank you. I think one of the things that I have seen other people that I admire as hosts, they show up overprepared enough to let themselves go. It's like knowing the sandbox, right? You know the sandbox enough that you honor everyone that you're hosting for. Like you don't show up wasting someone else's time. You know you're not the most important person there. Even if your job is the most important, you are not the most important person there. Your job is to help facilitate an event, a conversation, a moment, inspiration in a way that allows the people who came to the event to enjoy it. And I think a really good host is just as excited and just as curious and just as fascinated and just as in to the topic or the subject or the person or the moment as the people who came to watch the event. And you have to have a certain amount of curiosity. You have to have a certain amount of love and intention and engagement because you are their proxy. They are the third party in that conversation you're having. And that conversation is not about you. It's about them. Yeah, that's really good advice. I've watched not all of your interviews, obviously, because that's literally impossible. (laughs) You are like one of the most intriguing people oftentimes more than the people that you're interviewing. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I could just hear more about Angelique. (laughs) (laughs) Even when you're you're like major celebrities, I'm like, Uh... I know. I'm always like, I want her to talk more. Uh (laughs) And then Jenny asked, snuck some questions in here for you specifically. She wants to know what kind of content do you like to create? And how do you keep inspired when creating content? Oh, man. So I create three different types of content. I have a very special love. Every year, I, at least for the last four years, I've been the executive producer and pro se co-director of the honoree videos for the Miss Foundation for Women, which is very much nonprofit. It's focused on community organizations, executive directors who are being honored for doing work within their states. And so I've gone to New Mexico, Miami, New Orleans, Atlanta, North Carolina, to go and spend three or four days executively producing these films for them. And so I love doing that because it's telling a very real, a very connected, a very nuanced story about their work, who they are, and why they do what they do. I also am working on a speculative fiction novel. Aaron's face is, I just need to, Aaron's face is freaking out. <laughs> we'll talk about it because I do want to make it into a graphic novel, but let's get past Boyega Nights first. In my heart, I think that there needs to be more protagonists and antagonists who are not Katniss Everdeen. Like, and not everybody's going to go, I volunteer as tribute. Yes. Most of us, if the world came to an end, was like, yo. Most of us be like, mm-mm, I'm out. They're going to be like, where is the bottle? I don't know how to cook. This is very confusing. (laughs) As we are seeing now. (laughs) Can I just stay in my closet with my cat? Is there enough food? And so I've been working on this book for a couple of years now, and I love that kind of content as well as doing critiques. And I love a good amount of podcasting, man. I love a good amount of podcasting. I love producing a good conversation. I just do. It's so much fun. Okay. Thank you so much for all of that. Yeah. And I've heard you talk on podcasts about 
kind of like what your advice is for like how to make a good podcast and knowing exactly what you want out of it and what your like listeners should be getting out of it, like like long form podcasts versus short form podcasts and things like that. So if you Google or not Google, but if you type her name in iTunes, you'll actually find some other podcasts that she's been on if you want to hear some cool stuff about that. Yes. Also talking about hosting, this is the first uh, Phantom and Wellness episode that I've hosted by myself. Yes! Congratulations! (laughs) Also, I've been awkwardly trying to become friends with you for like a year, so so I'm awkwardly jittery. Aaron and I already got that solid friendship. Thank you for being so amazingly (laughs) persistent. Like some of the time I get so, and I think this is one of those things that I get from being, it's a blessing and a curse. I get tunnel vision. So you end up having 30 people yeah. scheduled for a podcast, but also there's a lot of life you missed in five days doing it. Yeah. So yay. I'm happy. We're friends now. It's done. I'm here for the bonding. This is good. Okay. The main topic of the episode is cyberbullying. So before we get into it, I wanted to give some definitions. So there is direct bullying, which refers to harming others by directly like getting at them. It's basically done by one person or by a group. This is usually like when someone is directly threatening or blackmailing you or stealing your things, insulting or calling you nasty names, or it can be like physical, like hitting or beating you up. There's relational bullying, which refers to damaging relationships between friends and destroying status within a group to hurt or upset someone. So deliberately leaving someone out of things, having like your friends ignore a specific person, not wanting to be someone's friend anymore, but obviously there are reasons to not be someone's friend anymore, but we know what we mean when we say that. (laughs) Spreading like nasty rumors or stories about someone. And then cyberbullying, which is can also be those things, but it's specifically when it's done online through electronic means. So like text messages, phone, instant message, obvious things. But it can also be having private email and text messages, things like that forwarded to someone else or having them posted where others can see them, spreading rumors online, sending like aggressive emails or posting embarrassing pictures online without permission. So Aaron, you started Force Against Cyberbullying, which is a hashtag. Why did you start it and what is it? So Force Against Cyberbullying was... The creation of getting to experience for the first time the full brunt of the, what I like to call the dark side of the fan base of Star Wars, because for some reason, it seems like any time that there's anything involved with a woman attached to Star Wars, they're not particularly happy about it. And so, you know, I was very excited because I just got my job. I'm having my at the red carpet, Mark Hamill liking my thing, and I'm putting it out on social media. And that was kind of like green light for them to just kind of like go at it. And then all of a sudden I wake up the one morning and my direct message inbox was full of threats and harassment and my comment section was full of it and my email was full of it. And I couldn't, there was like no place I could turn on my phone, on my email that had nothing on it. I had it everywhere. And then I started hearing similar experiences from a couple of my coworkers and a couple other artists I had made friends with. And I'm like, that doesn't seem right to me. And my parents raised me growing up as somebody who, when I hear something's wrong or I see something's wrong, I'm going to stand up against it. I'm going to fight back because there's no way you can just sit back and let a bad action happened. So I decided the one day I'm like, well, you know, am I going to just let it 
eat me alive because that's what it was doing at that point. It was internally damaging me. I was having a hard time sleeping. I wasn't eating what I was supposed to. I was just kind of like going into a full-on depression. I'm like, this isn't me, first of all, because I can't sit back and let myself get hurt by this and I can't let it happen. And it's also not fair to anyone else who's going through it. So I decided, I'm like, you can either do it this way, or you can take it, put a positive spin on it and make something good from it. So I said, I'm going to try to put that positive spin on it and come up with something. So I decided to make an anti-cyberbullying campaign purely for the reason of because a lot of the times any person that I have talked to that has gone through it has always said that they felt completely and utterly alone because it's such a weird topic that not really many people want to discuss. It's something that's uncomfortable and it's awkward because it's not something that should be happening. So why would you want to talk about that anyways? So the main goal of it was that way, you know, it was like kind of like reaching out that hand saying you're not alone. There are people here who want to help you and who went through the same thing and that understand the pain that you're feeling right now. And it's okay to feel that way. And we're going to figure out a way to fix this. So it was mainly that way to like kind of make like a helping hand for people who were going through it at the time. Which honestly has worked better than I expected because I've had a lot of people now where they're using the hashtag and they're telling their story about it and then saying like, if you need a safe space, you can come to me and talk to me because I wish I would have had it when I was going through it. And it's like that experience of seeing that that's exactly what I was going for and making it. And honestly, it's ever changing. There's always little facets and everything I'm trying to tweak with it here and there. But the overall idea of it was that way you know, that we have a safe space and we can show other people that we're here for one another, even when it may not seem that there's people here for us. I love that. There's that phrase, uh, bullied victims suffer in silence. So I feel like you're actively fighting against that. And I commend you for it. Thank you. I've wanted to have Angelique on a number of episodes. But when I asked you who you wanted on this episode with you, you instantly said her name. So I was like, well, that settles that. So other than because she's a complete badass, why was she your immediate thought? Well, the reason I had said her right off the bat was knowing her personality. She is also one that she doesn't stand by and just let people just run rampant and say what they want. If she sees something's wrong, she's going to speak up about it. And I know she has as strong feelings as I do about it. So honestly, if I could pick someone that has like that same feeling that I do and feels just as strongly and uses their voice to try to like make that change and speak out against it, I'd want that person to be a part of it with me. That's great. Angelique, do you run into trolls and cyberbullying on your different platforms or like in reviews on podcasts or even like in person or anything? Yeah, it's interesting. So I will honestly say that I was a victim of bullying as a kid, like direct bullying. And when I say direct bullying, I mean locker getting broken into, fights with multiple people, the entire class calling me one singular nickname to a point where my parents took me out of the school bullying in the principal's office, getting hit by trash cans. Like kids are rough, right? And so that instilled in me this kind of idea as I got older, because I realized one day when I got older, one of my biggest bullies reached out to me on Facebook and wanted to be friends. And I was like, oh, really? (laughs) And I was like, oh, 
you really have no clue the impact that you had on someone else lashing out with an anger or an angst or a misconception that the entire world belonged to you at the time. And what I realized at that point was so many people across the board have these things that happen to them that change their entire trajectories of life, change who they are, change how they feel, change how they function, change how they sleep, change their health, because people are bulls in China shops. They don't necessarily know what their actions are doing. And even worse, some of them knew, know exactly the, what their actions are and exactly what they're doing, and they're intentionally doing it on purpose. And so you're right. I don't stand by. Like This is not something that I personally think is something that should happen because it is unnecessary. It is detrimental, but also like yo, man, go take a chill pill. Star Wars is Star Wars. It's a fictional place far, far away where there's space pimps. Like, chill out. There is a place called Cloud City and Lando Calarisian has a closet full of cloaks. Like, I need you to have a chill. There is a mystical, magical idea of a force of good and bad, which mimics the idea of God and the devil. Like, let's have a conversation about how you cannot control the minds of other people and how they relate to a certain thing. And, you know, I also grew up with a mother who was like, yo, if they're coming at you, then you're doing something right. If you weren't doing something right, if you weren't out here, then they wouldn't care that you're doing it. And so I also am very big on like beefing my friends up. Like Aaron will know this. Aaron will get a text message from me like every other day. And I'd be like, yo, F them. F them. <laughs> She's not even joking. I'm not joking. Like I've said that so many. And, and the reason why I say it is because I am of a personal, I, and, and don't take this as being crass. Don't sign my checks. Don't pay my rent. Don't pay my bills. Don't have my student loans please stop. And that was my way of dealing with it. But what I also realized, it took me a long time to get there. And yeah, people have said, oh, look at that girl and her gums or, ooh, shit girl saves her sides and her heads. Why is she trying to be cool? Like I've heard it all. And it's at a point where, you know, I used to be the kid that would cover my mouth. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the color purple. I'd cover my mouth because people would say that my smile is too gummy. And it took me years of people going, your smile is beautiful, chill. And as soon as I started doing videos for certain folks that I won't mention, I remember seeing the first comment, oh man, I couldn't pay attention. All I could see was her gums. And I just looked at it and I was like, why do you have to be that one person? And that's what I started doing to myself. I said, who hurt you? Who took your toy? Why do you feel entitled? Who didn't give you an extra carton of milk? Let's talk about this because therapy is very important and therapy is real. And some people need to process why they treat other people the way they do, because it is a literal, it is an intentional thing that they do to make those statements and to make those comments. They don't have to go to your page. They don't have to go to the comments. They don't have to retweet anything. It's a compulsion. And sometimes I generally, I feel bad for them. Yeah. So with that in mind, like I personally feel like bullying is very in line with gaslighting, especially because like the person doing it really wants you and 
everyone else that they are like, who's like seeing the post or comments or whatever to believe their words over yours. Like they need you to believe like how earlier, Aaron, you were saying that, you know, you were feeling depression and everything because you started to actually like start believing what those negative commenters were saying. So I wanted to talk a little bit about the effects that it can have and an important study that I found, which is actually by another Aaron. So Aaron Burke, Aaron keeps taking screenshots and it's cracking me up. Um, Once they learned they had this power and ability, I'm not going to stop using it. (laughs) Our very serious episode, Aaron's taking screenshots. No, it's okay. So there was a study called Imagine by Aaron Burke Quinlan. Basically, it was with over 600 people, uh, young people, age uh, 14 to 19 in Europe. It was basically a questionnaire and a brain scan when they were 14 years old and then when they were 19 years old. So the goal of the study was to assess like their brain development and mental health. And it showed that basically like more than 30 had experienced chronic bullying. So after they did that, they compared it to basically the comparison was between people who were bullied, people who were victims and did bullying, and people who were just bullies and people who were just pure little angels. So the interesting thing about this is that it showed that if you are bullied like chronically as a kid, it actually physically changes your brain. Bullying may decrease the volume of parts of the brain called the, mm, this word's caduet, C-A-U-D-A-T-E, cadet. The cadet is basically, it plays a role in how the brain learns and processes memories. This part of the brain uses information from past experiences to influence future actions and decisions. And the putamen regulates movements and affects learning. So like, I think it's kind of obvious that like bullying affects your brain, but I think it's cool that actually like it shapes it really, there's like evidence now that shows this. When I had first started looking into ways I could help with what I was seeing occurring and what what I was experiencing occurring. One of the studies I ran into was talking about the trauma that it inflicts on the brain. And it likened it to the trauma that a soldier would face in the field. You're not having guns shot at you. You're not having bombs dropped on you, but you're having the same type of trauma inflicted upon you. And that kind of just was so jarring to realize that like, it's amazing how our brain reacts to different things in the same way. And you think about warfare and everything is such a big deal. It's very, very impactful, but you don't really ever think that words can have that same meaning. And it puts kind of like this whole new level to how important it really is on it. And it's like, now that you have those studies backing it. And I honestly would say, like, I can tell you it's really true. Like, and everybody's manifest differently. Like for mine, like I get I walk into a room so overly prepared. I walk into a room in a way that one of my brother-in-laws has said that to me. He's like, I want to get you now. And I said, what do you mean? He says, you work your butt off. You do everything you need to do so everyone will leave you alone. Absolutely. I I don't want to hear your comments on my hair. I don't want to hear your comments on my tattoos. I don't want to hear your comments on anything else here. Like I have proven to you that I am capable, that I have the ability and that I have all the things that you think that I don't have because you've made an assumption before you even got me. It is almost ability to say, I shouldn't have to do this, but since you think that I have to, here. And also I'm going to protect every last one of my friends because every last one of my friends are freaking amazing. 
amazingly talented and don't deserve it either. Exactly what you said about having like an instant reaction when you walk into a room. That's part of what I find with any level of bullying because I was bullied growing up too. I felt physical bullying. I had verbal bullying. So like it causes you to like kind of like adapt how you go into something because instead of going in overly prepared like Angelique, the way I go into something is I go in overly panicking, thinking that everyone's already judging me. I'm already stressed out and self-conscious walking into a room thinking, what are people thinking about me? Am I, is there something wrong with me? Am I doing this right? And I think that's an interesting thing is because everybody handles that trauma in a different way. Everyone kind of adapts themselves in a different way to handle and process that, which is something that, again, doesn't really get spoken about. And especially within fandoms, that's something I think because a lot of people take fandoms as their escapism. That's the way that they escape what's going on in the world and something that they like, that they want to keep the serious nature out of it. But it really does need to be included because this is something that's now causing us to react in a different way than we normally would. It's a way to kick you out of the fandom. It's a way to keep the fandom white, cis, and male, essentially. Yes. And I do say there is a number and I don't, I'm not patting anyone on the back. I'm not clapping for anyone. I think there are a number of white, cis, straight men who are amazing allies. Of course. I think there are a number of folks who really just love the fandom, who get it, who understand their history, who get that all you folks out here are saying, oh, Jodie Whittaker. And I'm like, y'all do know like the first producer of Doctor Who was a woman and the first director was a gay man of color. Cool. Great. Go learn your history, but fine. Or like going back and talking about Star Trek and like, why is there a woman captain? And I'm like, yeah, you do realize that number one was a woman in the pilot and that a woman, there were more than one, like there were more than one in the writer's room. Like, I need you to get that none of this started where you think it did and like really understanding the history of the fandom that you have. And I think Aaron's absolutely right. I think there's this point where folks fold into this escapism and they latch on to things. And that's, again, where I go back, who stole your juice box? Like, I need you. And we all have it. We all have a thing we need to process. We all have a thing that we need to figure out about why we react to certain things in a certain way. But I hate to see when it turns into toxicity or when someone's mad because Hermione is black. It Like, the dude... Hermione was supposed to be black. Like, go back and let the author say what she meant to say. Unless she's being a turf. Okay, (laughs) I get it. I understand. There was a line there. I acknowledge what it was. I don't appreciate turf behavior. I think that is also a whole level of toxicity. And I was definitely one of those people who followed the Twitter for the snark and then went, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Trash fire. Goodbye. Trash fire. I say that to say, like, the hugest detriment to folks who disallow other people into fandoms and, like, perpetuate this type of bullying, in my personal opinion, is that you miss out on stories. You miss out on creativity. You miss out on perspective. You miss out on other folks being able to break... One of the best runs on Storm that has ever happened to ever existed in life was written by a biracial Asian-American man. 
Like, let's have a conversation about Greg Pak. Like, what? <laughs> right? Yes. Uh, you are an encyclopedia of knowledge. <laughs> uh, I've also just interviewed Greg, and he's just a great guy. Oh, he's great. He also is the guy that goes, why not? Like, why can't there be an Asian American Batman? And then he's the reason why we have Amadeus Cho right now. Why not have an Asian American Hulk? Why not? There's no reason. Yeah. Do it. And you know, that along that line is, I think the way that you put it is perfect. It's almost like that people attach to certain characters because of something that they went through that was either traumatic or very hard for them. And they found this character in that time. And they feel like they could relate to that. And it's kind of like a coping mechanism almost. And they can just kind of like get out of their headspace and get into this character where they feel like they relate to that. But the problem is is where it gets taken too far and people decide it's my character. Nobody else can say or do or create off of that character. And I think that's where people forget the line between what's real and what's not. While we love these stories and while they may mean a lot to us and may bring us a lot of joy and escapism, it also has to end at some point. You have to realize that this isn't real life and the way that you're acting because of this is affecting real life. And I think people miss out on that. And especially behind a screen, they're given false courage. So if they see something about a character or about a franchise that they don't like, well, then it's easy just for them to go at it. Yeah. I want to read this paragraph from the study I found because it's so interesting and it really backs up what you were both saying. The facts of being bullied extend beyond the consequences of other childhood adversity and adult abuse. In fact, when compared to the experience of having been placed in care in childhood, the effects of frequent bullying were as detrimental 40 years later. Second, there's a dose-effect relationship between being victimized by peers and outcomes in adolescent and adulthood. Those who were bullied more frequently, more severely, such as like directly versus indirectly, or more chronically over a longer period of time, have worse outcomes. Third, even those who stopped being bullied during school age showed some lingering effects on their health, self-worth, and quality of life years later compared to those who were never bullied, but significantly less than those who remained bullied for years. Fourth, where victims and bully victims, so people who are bullied and who are also victims, have been considered separately in that study. Bully victims <laughs> seem to show the poorest outcomes concerning mental health, economic adaptation adaptation, social relationships, and early parenthood. Lastly, studies that distinguish between bullies and bully victims found few adverse effects of being a pure bully on adult outcomes. This is consistent with a view that bullies are highly sophisticated social manipulators who are callous and show little empathy. This study kind of blows my mind because I guess I kind of always had the false assumption that bullies are people who were bullied. And this study shows that they're not all, that there are genuine bullies who were not bullied. <laughs> and that terrifies me. I try so hard. I look for the good in everyone. But there are some times that you just can't push past it. There are some times where it's ultimately, it begins with that person. You can't find an excuse all the time for the reason that somebody's acting a certain way. And I think a lot of people forget that because we're all responsible for how we act towards one another. I mean, there may be some factors that ultimately weigh in to why a person's reacting that way, but we're responsible for how we're reacting. So 
a lot of times I think people try to like, because I heard it all the time growing up, I'm pretty sure most of us who were bullied growing up have heard it that, oh, the person who bullied you must have been bullied by somebody else. And it's like, that's not always the case though, because they can come from the best background, the best home life, the best situation socially and still be this way. And usually that's actually (laughs) when they are just a straight up bully. When I went to therapy, large majority of it was dealing with being bullied because I was going through very extreme gaslighting for several years. That was mainly online, actually. And one of the big problems was that I felt so bad because I was like, if this person is attacking me so badly, then they must be in pain. I never wanted to like attack them back or like be a bully back to them. I just kind of like took it all and I just like wouldn't respond. I would just take it all in because I just had like endless empathy and was like, well, maybe one day they'll get help. Maybe one day they'll get help. But it just reached a point where it was just like, I mean, over the course of years, it was hundreds and hundreds of just like comments and like just things said to other friends of ours that were just like so, so horrible that it's just like at some point you have to realize that like okay even if that person was bullied that doesn't make it okay for them to be bullying you like they need to do the work of going to therapy as well and i think that's something that especially lately within like the past year with being on social media that's been the point i've been trying to get across when situations do occur is that we're responsible for our own actions and how we say and treat other people is no one's fault but our own. We can only control what we do because a lot of people do try to shuck the blame to somebody else and that's not okay. We have to take responsibility for what we're doing. So we're going to make a mistake. We're humans. That's in our nature. We're going to do something stupid every now and then, but we have to take that responsibility for it instead of trying to say like, oh, this is why I did it, or it's this person's fault that I did it. That's not okay. That's unacceptable. Yeah, definitely. Well, and I think it's interesting because it can be someone's fault that you feel a certain way, but once you acknowledge that that thing is not the way to behave, then it is your responsibility to change your, the way you behave. Like no one else is going to change it for you. Like There isn't going to be a magical therapy fairy that just sprinkles dust over your head and then suddenly you're going to be able to process your emotions without learning tricks and training yourself and addressing the things that aren't addressed. Like a lot of these things are societal norms and stereotypes and gender norms and all of these things are embedded. But if you know that those things are what they are, then now you're kind of responsible for changing your actions and how you treat other people. Exactly. Adulting is hard sometimes. Don't be a dick. I don't even remember if it was my therapist or several of my friends, but basically they're like, you can't control it to people. So basically like all the horrible things I was feeling that I was feeling because that person was doing them, there's nothing in me that was ever going to get them to stop. And they still do them. What I can do is I control like how much I'm seeing them or like limit my interactions with people who interact with them which is basically what I had to do. Like when I moved to Texas, I blocked anyone who interacts with them on social media. I had them blocked for a long time, but I would still somehow get, it would get through to me. If it makes you feel any better, I remember my therapist, because there was a point, and and this is a very personal story. I I had an ex who clearly just not, as many times as like, don't call, don't call, 
leave me alone. Don't call. Blocked him on everything. Finds me through my Facebook fan page. Sends a horrible message to me. And to the point where I, I couldn't breathe. Like I was having an anxiety attack. This was so like visceral. And of course I blocked them and I go into my therapist session next week and she goes, you don't owe those people anything. No. Block them. You don't owe anyone anything. Block them. Don't answer them. Cut them off your messages. You don't have to respond. And I was like, oh. And she's like, yeah, I know. It was a simple thing. You already knew it, but I am giving you permission because you seem to need it. Don't respond. See, that's why therapy is great because... Yeah, it's like, okay, sometimes they say things that you think are obvious, but you just need someone to say that to you. You know, because we forget sometimes the most simple things in the world, we forget them because there's so many complex and crazy things happening that it's the most obvious thing staring us in the face, but we need somebody to direct us to look directly at it. Yeah, well, and also another thing about bullying, which is why I say so much like gaslighting, is because if someone is doing this to you constantly and you're constantly hearing or seeing these words, you believe them. And so anything you know to be true about yourself, you don't believe anymore. So if you know that you're a kind person, if someone is constantly saying like, you're terrible and blah, 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 you start believing that even if you know it's not true. Yeah. And I can say from experience, because I had that growing up instead of more like the physical bullying that a lot of people dealt with, I had the verbal bullying and I had people telling me, you know, you should be dead. You shouldn't even be alive and everything. And you begin to believe that after some time. And you're like, am I supposed to be here? And, you know, it was almost like it stirred up those same memories when I started getting the same things online. And I was saying to Angelique the other night because I posted a dress that I had made for Ace. Oh, my God. So fucking gorgeous. A fantastic dress, an incredible dress, a well put together dress. I was more excited about it and I always do it after Ace. I always post it during the show like, oh, this was, was my surprise. And I wasn't expecting for it to take off. And then it was like the next three days after it, I'm getting those messages in my direct message. I'm getting them in my emails and everything. And I almost went back into that headspace and Angelique kind of like gave me that nice like slap across the face. Like, what are you doing? She's like, no, don't go there. <laughs> It's one of those things that if you see it so repetitively and so many different people are saying it, it's like... And it's hard, right? Yeah. It's hard, right? Because it comes through different forms. Like I remember... So I have 12 tattoos. I love every last one of my babies. And I remember... Because people will sometimes... even It won't even be as sharp as, I hope you die. Uh, sometimes it's just like, your tattoos are okay, I guess. And you kind of want to look like, did anyone ask you? You're like, why would you say that? Like, why are we here? And I just remember having a friend who was like, oh, I just wish you wouldn't have stained your temple. And I looked at her and I went, baby, I just got stained glass windows. Because people literally, they just act out in such horrible ways sometimes. And I think, you know, I'm really glad to have a bunch of friends who can put in perspective, but also sometimes I have friends who will check people. My manager put it in an interesting way because when I first started dealing with this is when he mainly took over looking through like my social media comments and everything. And he goes, I don't know if you realize this. You're not thinking about this, I think, in a full like clear head because how could you think about it in a clear head? He, he goes, everybody wants to make everything about them. It's a very, the way that society is, society makes it 
everybody wants it to be about them. And if they see you're getting the attention, you're getting, you know, something good, well, they shouldn't get that. I should be getting that. And they want to take it away. And it's hard for me because my personality is very much a people pleaser. That's not always a good thing, but it's very much, I like making people happy. So for me, figuring out like there's a fine line between making people happy and setting boundaries where saying, you can say something up to a certain point, And when it crosses that line, that's not okay with me because people will comment like ridiculous things. And then I can just, you know, there's a wonderful feature on Instagram, at least that you can delete comments. And then somebody will come back and they're like, why did you delete my comment? It's my post. This is my page. I can do that. But first of all, Erin, and that's this goes back to the whole thing about having so much intent and so much energy being put out into the universe to being toxic. Like that person did not have to go to your page. It didn't have to like your thing. And then they went and they checked on it. That, yeah, that's always what blows my mind about it. Because I'm like, what do you do with your day? What do you waste your energy on? Because it's there's so many better things. There are so many things that need fixing. There's so many things that need help. But you're choosing to waste your time on going to see if I responded to your toxicity, to your negativity. And it's like, grow up, grow up, move on, do something better with your time. Because that's just a waste. It's wild. So one of the biggest ways that I've experienced cyberbullying is through my company, Little Pedal, because I try to like raise money for like so many different nonprofits or just post about so many social justice things, probably as much, if not more than I post about my dresses. So it was like most recently, like when we were talking about JK Rowling, actually, I posted about how fucked up that tweet was. And like just in general, make posts about trans women or women and things like that. So I started recently having transphobic people come on my page and leave fake bad reviews and report my page to try to get my page taken down as a hate page against women. It's so wild to think about like people having that much time. Like they were like sharing it in um, like proud turf groups, turf posting. I think the several of the groups are called online, the actual groups. It was just like a bunch of people like posting negative reviews on my page that had nothing to do with my company. And my customers and followers like reacted amazingly and they were reporting the negative reviews so they'd get taken down. I think two of them are still up for some dumb reason, but whatever. It's so overwhelming when something like that happens. You're just trying to do something that either makes you happy or that you're proud of, or that you're just trying to make other people's lives easier. The JK Rowling post got shared in a turf posting group. And then my post on International Women's Day, giving half off to trans women also got shared in that same group. And that's when they started negatively commenting on my page. And I think it's interesting because that shouldn't be the risk of someone standing up for what they believe is right. Well, so basically, like, it taught me a couple of things. I mean, this happened a couple of years ago when I raised money for Planned Parenthood as well, because people are so like anti-abortion. Geek and Sundry had an interview with me and they were amazing on the comments. I will say that anyone who trolled on the comments, they were hilarious, hilariously like condemning them. But no one came on my page and left like a negative review or, or reported my page or something like that. So with this, I'm like, okay, so what it's showing me is that people want so badly to get spaces that I guess like marginalized people feel safe in taken down so they have less spaces to be able to interact on. 
because it's like attacking companies that are speaking up about things like this, which not a lot of companies do. Celebrities will do because celebrities have fans. And like, even if they lose a fan, they're going to gain a fan. It doesn't matter. But a lot of companies don't speak up in the same way because of shit like this. That's what I realized that it's like, okay, this is clearly them just trying to get another space taken away. And so it's like extremely frustrating for me. It's weird because it's like, I felt deeply depressed, even though it's like, okay, they're cyberbullying me by calling me like someone who hates women. I felt like weird feeling bad about it because I'm not trans. So I don't want to like take up that type of space by feeling bad about it. But at the same time, it's just like so fucking overwhelming when every time you look online, it's a new notification from someone who's just spending their whole day attacking you and then going on your different customers pages and like commenting on their photos and stuff. And, you know, I think that's something that people also forget. It's okay to feel bad for other people when they're going through it. Because, like, I've had people say to me, well, you can't speak up about that because you're not this demographic. You're not this marginalized group. And I'm like, but I can do what I know is right. I can feel bad for them, too, because nobody should be treated like that. And I think that's where, again, people feel entitled because they're on the internet and something doesn't agree with what they think, that they think they can just say whatever they want and tell you that you can't feel a way or you can't be a way. And it's like, no, that's not how this works. Yeah. But it also, it reminded me of what Angelique said earlier about how, like, I think they used that. Our conversation has been (laughs) wonderful. Basically, like, if someone is bullying you, it may as well you've done something right. So I'm like, okay, like if people are attacking me that much because I'm staying up for trans people, fuck them. Like I definitely am not going to like, it's not going to make me not speak up. (laughs) My dad, when I was growing up, would always tell me that because I would come home from like just a ruthless day because like you said earlier, kids are terrible. And I would be like on the verge of tears. I'm like, I don't want to go back. I don't want to deal with them. And he goes, well, think about it this way. You're getting good grades, you're excelling, you're doing what you're supposed to. Obviously, you must be doing something right if they want to pick at it. And that always stuck with me because I'm like, people make problems when they see somebody trying to make change, when they see somebody trying to do something better. When they want what you want. And because people don't always want change. People don't always want people to be better than them. And that always, ever since he said that to me, it just like stuck out clearly in my mind. I'm like, you know, that's a really good point. And that was part of what with the whole cyber anti-cyberbullying campaign and even just like going on. I've done several different podcasts now talking about it. That's always been like my number one thing that I think of is that when we talk about it, we must be doing something right if there's so much people pushing back against it. Yeah, absolutely. Also, something that is so, so, so hard to realize while you're going through that is recognizing all the positivity that you're also getting. Because I'm sure for every one of those negative comments you're getting, you're probably getting like 10 positive comments. That post on Twitter itself has over like 300 comments. And out of the 300, 50 of them had to be really bad. And then the direct messages that I got, there had to be You know, I can't even keep count of how many direct messages because that's where most of it was taking place. But between Angelique and then another one of my friends, they both kind of like gave me like that slap upside the head because they're like, hello, 300 something comments and there's only 50 bad ones. I've always said about my personality is I look 
glass half full. There's always a positive to every situation, even if it seems hard to see it, even if it's the very smallest amount, there's always a positive to everything. And in those moments, you tend to forget that there is that positive, even though it may be the overwhelming amount. Every time it seems like the negative is what's overpowering, it's too much to handle and everything. But then if you think about it in the right mindset, it's easy to realize like, hey, there's more with me than against me. There's more people that are being kind to me than mean to me. So just being able to like balance that, having balance and realizing like, yeah, I'm going to get bad, but I'm also getting a lot of good. And that's not, there's nothing taking away from the good. Yeah. I think the other thing that I've realized, uh, specifically in this type of work, there are more folks who are in your position, Aaron, who have been bullied, or my position as someone who was bullied as a kid for being a choir kid or a drama kid or liking arts or you know being great at some weird thing like the French horn. I don't know. There are more of us out there just not knowing that that's what we grew up with until we talk about it. Yeah. So it's super important to talk about it. And I think that's the thing too, because it can be done very subtly and that trauma can be caused so subtly that you don't really understand what's happening until down the road, somebody's like, Hey, no, that's not normal. Like, that's not okay. That shouldn't have been going on. That caused a problem. And I think it's easy to point it out when it's so jarring and it's something so ridiculous and horrific. But when it's like those small little things, you don't really pay attention to it. Yeah. Like I definitely think that we're getting better as a culture at recognizing that abuse is not just physical. Because for a long time, I think it was just like, well, if they weren't punched in the eye, then they're not. <laughs> it's like, no, mental abuse is just as bad. It's, it's that saying of seeing is believing. People now are more realizing that not just seeing is believing because there's so many things internally that you can't see which I think is interesting. I saw somebody in a TED talk once said that if you got a cut on your arm, would you go and treat it? And the person looked back and went, yeah. He goes, so if you have an internal wound, why wouldn't you go get that fixed? Your brain health getting beat down by somebody else, that is an internal wound. Why wouldn't you go and get that fixed? And it was just kind of like, you know, because we can physically see it. Everyone's like, oh, of course, but just because you can't see it. People just want to like kind of like sleep to, to the side because how can it be real if we can't see it? And I think that's the wonderful thing. People are beginning to realize that just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. That's perfectly said. I feel like we could probably spend literally hours talking about bullying stories. <laughs> so instead of doing that, what is your best advice for dealing with trolls or cyberbullying? Do you want to start this, Angelique, or do you want me to go? I can. Yours is going to be probably a lot more genteel than mine. Honestly, man, at the end of the day, don't let somebody else's problem stop you from living your dreams, right? Like any person that you've ever looked up in your entire life that you have seen as an inspiration, as a role model, like somebody told Oprah, like, how dare you think, like, they didn't say this specifically, but they're like, how dare you think you should get paid the same as a man? And also like, how dare you think that you're going to get your own show with your own name? And Oprah's like, okay, I see your haterade. That's real great. But this isn't about you. This is about me. <laughs> and she's now Oprah. Oprah. <laughs> like, let's have a conversation. She literally has a magazine of her own. Right. 
Right. A magazine, a TV network, movies. She is played in movies that have changed people's lives, right? And so when you think about folks like Princess Nokia or Samus or... Man, I, there's like so many incredible stories like Jessica Hennick, who was like from a rural part in the UK, who was too old for her first gig, but then got her first gig because she wrote to the station because she's like, I'm perfect for this. And now she's Jessica Hennick, right? And so just she's from Iron Fist and many other great things. And I say all that to say, like, it's hard but at the end of the day, that person wants you to respond so that they can be seen, so that they can like engage you in a fight, so they can steal your energy and steal your joy. And if there's anything my mother imparted on me as a kid, it was don't let anybody else steal your joy. You know, life is short. You've got one of these. And is it better doing what you love to do or allowing someone else to make you feel like you aren't? good enough to do that thing. I think that's kind of the perfect way to put it is, are you letting somebody steal what's rightfully yours? You're given such wonderful, everybody has so many different wonderful talents and gifts that they can now share. We have so much more access to it now with the internet in the day and age that we live in. And that's one of the most wonderful things about that is that we're able to share it. We're able to connect with others. So are you letting people steal that from you? Are you letting people steal your joy? Is it worth it at that point to let that happen? So there's a fine line between what's okay and what's not and figuring out it's okay for me to set boundaries. It's okay for me to say that saying this on my stuff, saying this about me is not okay and realizing that you have the power to not only stop it from happening, but also Stop the comments from being on your page. Stop the direct messages from being... You can just easily get rid of them. So my manager has said this to me time and time again when I've had to deal with stuff like this and he sees it on my page, he'll always say, easiest thing that you can do is block and go on with your day. And that's honestly, I think, some of the best advice that I can impart is that it's not worth your time and energy to waste all that time on a sec on a comment that took probably 30 seconds to write out. So are you going to let it consume you to the point that your health, your time, your energy is wasted, or are you just going to move on from it? And the best thing to do, I think is get rid of it and move on from it. Yeah. Blocking is self-care. That's like one of the best self-care tips on the internet. Block. I definitely used to think it was like my moral obligation. I don't try to like get trolls or negative commenters to like be kinder to other people. No, especially now that I'm seeing a study that says some bullies are just straight up bullies and they weren't ever victimized. <laughs> that really throws out my people are inherently good theory. <laughs> I think that's the other thing too that I would say is right with what you're saying. You're not responsible for how others are going to react. You're not responsible for helping them figure out that they're not doing what they're supposed to. That's their journey. They need to figure that out and they need to fix that themselves. You're responsible for what you do and for how you react back to it. Quicker you can figure out how to handle it properly without having mental or physical damage to yourself because that can happen the better off you'll be health-wise and the better off you'll be mentally because if you let it affect you, if you try and it, it's going to consume you trying to fix other people and it's just not possible. So the quicker that you can just let it go 
and realize that's their thing they need to figure out how to deal with it, the better off you'll be. 100%. My brain has definitely become a lot clearer since realizing that. And as I wasn't able to realize that until I moved out here because I just too fogged up blocking. Block everyone who's mean to you. You don't need to waste your time on anyone who's mean to you. You don't owe them anything. That's something that Angelique so gracefully put it to me the other night that I owe them nothing. They're not giving me anything. I owe them nothing. And I'm like, well, that might be the new way to go about it at this point. Yeah. Something I realized is that it's like, okay, so with trolls, it's like you're expending a bunch of energy on someone who you do not know at all, who you're just hoping will miraculously become a better person, which is like a pretty... It's a long shot. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what word to use there. Yeah, it's a long shot. It's like, block them. Just block them because they just want to interact with you. And then my feelings have shifted so much that it's like, I used to feel like I owe everyone everything. And even if people who I've known for my whole life have been mean to me, I'd still like be friends with them and still like try. Over the past like two years since I've lived here, I've been like, no, if someone is like mean to you, someone talk to them. They're stealing your joy. I always like, that's my inner little thing that reminds me because I'll look back on past relationships and I'm like, why did I let myself be around this person if they were just kind of like, you know, using me or making me feel bad about myself? You're worth more than that. You need to have a higher opinion of yourself. If a person's making you feel that bad and a person is purposely trying to hurt you, you need to let them go. Yeah, that's not your friend. I feel like we place too much importance on people claiming that we're all friends with each other or like that we're like family or just (laughs) whatever words that we like ignore their actions sometimes. How is that person actually making me feel every single time I interact with them? Bad? Okay. That was one of the things growing up my dad would always say to me. He says, not everyone is going to like you. You just need to learn that at this point. And still now as an adult, I'm still struggling with that because I want everyone to like me, but... The importance that I think society puts on it, especially with social media, the amount of followers, the amount of friends that somebody has, it's kind of self-demeaning at that point. It's really not that important. I always tell everyone because people ask me, they're like, well, how do you get such a big following? How do you get such a big fan base? And I'm like, it's not about that. Honestly, I could care less if I had thousand followers or 50,000 followers. Draw real pretty. (laughs) I don't care about the person who's the amount that's following me, I care about the type of people that are following me. That's that's what you want to worry about. It's the quality over the quantity. You don't want so many that it's just like, oh, look at me. It's a status thing. No, you want the right people to be following you. You want the right people to be friends with you. That's what's going to make you and build you into a better person and better version of yourself. Okay. Can you folks let listeners know what you're both working on during social distancing if you didn't already discuss it, I mean, I know we discussed a bunch of things, but and how to find you online. Aaron, go first. Because I know you're both going to sit there and debate over who goes first. Okay. <laughs> so currently, the project I'm working on, ironically, is with Angelique. We're working on um, a little thing we call Boyega Nights, which you can find on Twitter and on Instagram. Currently, we're in the storyboard phasing. That's on me. I'm still working on those. I'm terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> It's on me, but she's wonderful. And before this podcast started, I was like, you're not allowed to bully yourself on a podcast about bullying. No. Like also at the end of the day, there's going to be a point where I have to write more scripts and this is going to turn right back on me. It's fine. Okay. That's fair. So we have a basic outline of some scripts and then we have, I've got a couple storyboards already done up and it's really exciting because it's something that we both kind of like 
went nuts over when we started talking about it. And I don't know how it happened, but like all of a sudden we had like 10 different ideas within a matter of like an hour, just going back and forth with it. That's how it happens. So now just, you know, once the storyboards are done, being able to get it into the right hands, getting the right people to see it will be the next goal of it. But hopefully people will see it and kind of enjoy it because it's like that nerdy, fun thing that I think people are missing from their lives right now. There are horses and magical godmothers, and I'm so excited. <laughs> okay. Angelique, do you have anything to add? Uh, man, I uh, the whole idea for me right now is creative quarantine, which is, you know, I want to provide a good conversation with creatives who are adjusting their lives to support stopping the spread of COVID-19 by self-isolating and social distancing and then talk about how we inspire other folks to find their own way to adjust, shift, and reconfigure their way of thinking when talking about the current circumstances, when they have kind of this forced space away from when you have the privilege, because certain people do not have the privilege, they are essential workers, and I don't want to leave that out of context. But when a lot of us who are teleworking, who are at home can take a step back and what does that mean and how do we shift and really look at it so that we can manage to keep doing it. I was laughing with my husband earlier because I've talked about this episode on bullying and I was like, well, between bullying and being grounded all the time, I've been like in prep for isolation since I was in high school. So <laughs> I'm in a great school. <laughs> I was like, so I'm mentally okay. <laughs> But also, also style. <laughs> also, also a little terrifying, but it's awesome. Okay. What are your handles online in case anyone wants to follow you? Yeah. Uh, you can follow me at Angelique Roche. That's A N G E L I Q E R O C H E on the Twitters. And it's at Angelique Roche official on the Instagrams and Angelique Roche.com. And then mine's a bit more challenging than hers, but I'm going to give it a go anyways. You can find me on Instagram at butternut, like the squash, underscore G-O-U-A-C-H-E, which is the type of paint I use because I am a pun lord, apparently, and I had to do something stupid for my username. And you can find me under um, butternut gouache without the underscore on Twitter because they have a character limit and that would have made it easier for me to keep it seamless. That's exactly what it is for us. So with us, you can find Fandom and Wellness on Instagram at Fandom and Wellness, on Facebook at Fandom and Wellness, or on Twitter at Fandom Wellness because of the character limit. <laughs> Please take a moment to subscribe, review, and rate us. It's the easiest way to help support our podcast. Let us know what you enjoyed about the episode and a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. You can also find me at Little Petal, Arkita at Classy Rebel Design, and Jenny at Fan Mailbox, all on Instagram. And if you want bonus content, join our fandom family at patreon.com slash fandom and wellness for Patreon-exclusive geek sessions. And remember, be kind and take no shit. <laughs>